right, well, good to be with everybody today and I uh, wanna welcome everyone gathered across all of our locations and our online family. If you have your Awakened Guide, go ahead and grab that and find page 80. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and find 2 Corinthians chapter nine. That's where we're gonna be together today. And as you're finding those and getting settled, uh, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a heads up as to where we're heading in the coming weeks together. Uh, we have had a brand new message series planned uh, for a number of months that we were gonna jump into next weekend and take us all the way up through Christmas. And here in the past month or so, and I've just had so many people reach out to me and ask me questions about the conflict in Israel, primarily around like, why is this, there such a significant conflict? Where did it originate? Why is it such a complex issue? And maybe even more importantly, what does this mean? And how are we as Christians to kind of view it? And what, how are we to think about it? And so I've just decided to call a bit of an audible. That's kind of how we want to think about things around here. We have a playbook, but when I'm in the pocket and I hike the ball and the defensive line adjusts, then I'm going to call an audible and move. And so that's what we did this past week. We just made the decision to punt the next series by a week. And next weekend, I just want to address those, that issue primarily from Scripture. Uh, meaning like, you know, what, what, what does God's word have to say about it? And what does God's word say about what's next and how we are to posture ourselves as Christians? And so that's next weekend. And then the weekend after that, we're gonna jump into the series and uh, this is gonna take us to the end of the year. And this is a high invite series. Invite your, fam your family, your friends, your neighbors. And we've got invite cards for you, but I just want you to know the date on the invite card is gonna be wrong because we're adjusting the series, all right? So just so you know, so you're not confused, but all that's coming up in the, in the coming weeks together. And uh, so be praying that God would move and speak in the midst of all of that. Um, last night, guys, we had our student night at our downtown campus. I just wanna show you a couple of images. We had uh, over 400 students that gathered together at our downtown campus. And uh, they have been thoroughly engaged with this throughout this whole Awaken uh, series that we have been in. And what I love about that is that part of the Awaken vision involves them in the sense that, you know, we're trying to prep and plan for the next generation, but they've just been just as engaged in it all the way through. And so that took place uh, last night, which is really amazing to see. And uh, if you happen to be like at any one of our locations right now, like this is your first time at Traders Point, you're coming in as a guest, you've never been here before, you've actually come on a really, really good day. And it might even feel a little bit like as you walk in, you're kind of like, man, I kind of feel like I've just walked into, you know, somebody's family gathering. And in a sense you have, but that's a good thing. Because what you're gonna do is here in the next few moments as what you witness and what we experience together is gonna give you a good heartbeat uh, for our church and what we are all about. Because today, is uh, something that is, you know, we don't do it very often, but it's called Commitment Sunday. And this is really the culmination of the last six weeks that we've been journeying together. We are wrapping up a message series called Awaken. Now the series is concluding, the season is not. So we are gonna continue to stay awakened and attentive to the voice of God and how he wants to move in us and through us in this season. Uh, but today is really kind of the culmination of all of that, where uh, we are kind of laying out our two-year vision, our plans. We're kind of placing that in front of God and asking him to do something in us and through us. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, just grab that commitment card that you maybe brought with you or maybe it was on the seat when you walked in. I just want you to hold it. I'm not asking you to do anything with it. just want you to hold it. And we just want to consecrate this time before uh, God, before we go any further with this. And uh, so let's just, just join me in prayer right now across all of our locations. Father, we come to you and uh, we're just so grateful for this season of awakening that you've had us in. 
And uh, we know that this isn't a season about um, money, but there is the byproduct of you doing a work in us is that you'll do something through us. And we know just as Jesus taught that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So God, we want our hearts to be fully yours. And we just wanna come before you open-handed to, to declare before you that everything that we have and who we are is because you've provided it to us. And so God, would you please help us to be faithful, help us to be bold, give us a vision for what it is that you desire to do in us and through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, um, last week, if you were here, I said that we're wrapping up this series by walking through two chapters in 2 Corinthians. And there's chapters 8 and 9. And chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is the longest continuous teaching of generosity that we have in all of the, the Bible. Uh, this is uh, Paul giving us what we might call a theology of generosity. Now, um, I also said last week that there's, you take the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and you add it all up, that there's over 2,000 scriptures that reference money and material possessions all through the Bible. And the reason why is not because God is short of cash and he wants ours, but because he wants our heart. And as Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like there's this thin fishing line wire between the two. And so where our treasure goes, there our heart follows. Now that seems kind of counterintuitive because if I was stating it, I might say, well, you know, where my heart is, there my treasure follows. But Jesus says, know where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. And so God desires our hearts. Not only does he desire full, uh, um, a possession of our hearts, but it's thinking through this lens that the way in which we think about the financial resources that God has temporarily entrusted to us on our time on earth, that as money flows in through paychecks and as it flows out through bills and expenses, it shapes our heart through a lifetime. And so that's why the scriptures speak so much to this issue. Now, what's happening in 2 Corinthians is Paul is writing to them and he's encouraging them to be generous towards the churches in Jerusalem. And we don't exactly know what was going on. Now, we do know that there was a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. And since this is Paul's second letter, chances are they push back on him a bit. And so Paul is writing to them again. And he's trying to encourage them, inspire them, and challenge them to be generous by talking about the generosity of the Macedonian churches that were just to the north of them. Now, now here's why this is significant, is the Macedonian churches were going through, Paul states it this way, a severe trial and extreme poverty. So severe trial could be uh, a recession, downturn in the market, uh, health issues, loss of a job, uh, extreme poverty. They just didn't have much. You know, they're, they're trying to save for the future, but interest rates are super high. Like, so those two things were working against them. And he said, but even in the face of that, they were still generous. In fact, notice how Paul describes it. He, he says that they gave with joy and out of, because of that, it overflowed in rich generosity towards God. He said this about them. He said, they gave out of what they had not what they didn't have. In fact, he goes, they gave even more than what I even anticipated that they would give. And so you take those factors and you're like, man, that doesn't even seem to make sense. Like the math doesn't really even seem to fully math here. But what he was trying to do was he was inspiring these Corinthians who, by the way, were actually way better off. They were in a better season of life than what the Macedonians were with their generosity. Now, here's why we pointed that out is that most of the time in all of our lives, me included, uh, when God wants to do something through us, it's very easy for us to take a look at our current financial circumstances, whatever they may be, 
and kind of give us an out. And so we say, well, this just isn't like I wanna be. Like, God, I wanna be available to you. I wanna be generous, but this just isn't the season for me. Let me wait until, and like you fill in the blank. What has it traditionally been for you? God, let me wait until I can graduate and get a steady paycheck, then I'm all yours. God, let me wait until, you know, we can get the kids through college and then, you know, we'll have some resources freed up for you. God, let me wait until we get enough in the 401k and then we'll be generous towards the end of our lives. Now, here's the problem with God, uh, let me wait until. Paul mentioned this last week in, in chapter eight, is he said, let's excel in this grace of giving. So this is this idea of uh, a particular gift set or a particular muscle that you use. Now, if you don't use a muscle, what happens to it? Like it atrophies. And so saying like, well, one day I'll, let me wait until, and then I'll be generous. By the time that day comes around, which by the way, it never will. Like there's always a set of circumstances, always a set of unexpected bills that can kind of keep us in this to where we just say this isn't a good season. But then we come down to this place where we think that it's time, but then we haven't worked out the muscles of generosity. We don't have the reps in. It's like, well, I'm gonna build a lot of muscle just by believing that I can, but never going to the gym. And I don't have the reps in. And so this is what he's talking about when it comes to generosity. Can I say it this way? This will be on the screen behind me. If you're waiting for your financial circumstances to change before you engage with God in generosity, you'll miss all the ways that he wants to demonstrate his power in this season that you're in. And so you're actually coming before God and you're saying, God, I'm just simply available to you. And here's what God says, uh, two words that start with T. God says, I want you to trust me in this, which means it's gonna require some faith. And then I want you to test me, which means that I actually gotta take a step out in faith. Trust and test. Now here's how uh, oftentimes I've thought about it in the past. When my kids were like really little, like they, they, they is between that stage of like baby and toddler, uh, to where they're not really fully aware, like they're aware enough, but they're not fully aware of how much danger they might really be in. And I loved that season because I would take them and just throw them up in the air. And I would catch them. But, uh, but, uh, but here's the thing, like when they were suspended up in the air, they were laughing, they were having the time of their lives. They had no idea how much danger they were really in. They just like blindly trusted me. But then there was that day came where they became cognitive of how much danger they were really in. And then they weren't so excited about me throwing them up in the air anymore. And so here's how the conversation would go. I, I would like, get ready to like, you know, throw them up in the air and I'd start to do this. And they would like cling to me with the death grip. And then I would say, hey, you know, do, do you trust daddy? And they would go, yes. And I would go, well, can I throw you in the air? No. <laughs> and many of us do that with our, our finances. God says, hey, do you trust me? We're like, absolutely, I trust you. Like, you know, our arms are raised in worship. Like, God, we trust you. Okay, um, will, will you let me throw you in the air? Oh, no. Trust and test. And guys, I wish that I could forward on to you all the emails, the DMs, um, the conversations that I've had with people just through this whole series that have just shared with me how God has been at work in their lives. Um, my uh, assistant, she actually prints for me all my emails, um, like, the, 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 like the stories that people share, and she gives them to me on Thursday afternoon. And so I got a, a stack of those on Thursday and I actually went to lunch and I'm sitting there eating lunch, reading through the emails and I'm just, it's just, I'm tearing up because of how God is moving so powerfully in so many of your lives because so many of you are learning to trust and test and God is coming through in big ways. 
And I just wanted to read one story to you. I actually got her permission to share this. Um, this is from a college student. She's 19 years old. She came up to me after one of the services last weekend with her dad. She was super excited to share the story with me. And after I heard it, I was like, man, that's amazing. Do I have your permission to share it? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I'll email you. So this is her email. I just want to read you a portion of it. This is what she said. She said, I'm a full-time college student. I have two jobs and I also have a TikTok platform that is geared towards Christian and college lifestyle content. I've recently been convicted to surrender this platform to the Lord and invite him into every part of it. I've been praying that he would transform me into a vessel that displays his love and truth. I was attending week two of the Awaken series when I felt for the very first time in my life, the Lord telling me to do something very specific. I had a brand partnership scheduled to be posted the next day where I receive a percentage of commission from every unit I sell through my affiliate link. By the way, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> my part-time job in college was pushing carts at Sam's Club. All right, so things have changed. All right, so um, I'm assuming this is Good stuff here. So, so she goes, so the Lord told me to give all of what I made from this link to the church. I was hesitant at first as I'm a college student. I'm currently saving up for a car. My current car is being held together by zip ties. <laughs> she goes, but in the middle of my reluctance and negotiation with God. You ever do that? Yeah, me neither. All right, so she's negotiating. That's oftentimes when we're convicted, that's what we do. Instead of surrender, we negotiate. About what percentage I should give, you mentioned the story of Cain and Abel. You reminded us to give our first and best. Unlike Cain, who presented only some of his crops to the Lord, I immediately knew the Lord was speaking directly to me and confirming that he wants me to give the entirety of what I make from this collaboration. She said, I posted the two videos the next day. Now, I wanna give you a little bit of context. This isn't in the email. She told me traditionally she has about... Um, eight to 10,000 views per video. The most she's ever made on a video is about $1,500, right? So, this is, so with that in mind, she said, um, I posted two videos the next day. They are the highest performing videos on my page with one at around 4 million views and the other around 10 million. I have estimated, yeah, I have estimated $30,000 of commission that I made within the past two weeks. I'm only 19 years old and could have never dreamed of making this amount of money in such a little time. I feel so strongly that God's fingerprints are all over my life right now. And I want to be obedient to his initial request of me to give it all back. That's incredible. Now, here's what I said to her as I'm talking. Number one, I kind of put myself in her shoes and I was like, man, if I was in her shoes, would I have that kind of faith? Like I would have kind of, I don't know that I would have like, you know, shared that, you know, conversation with God <laughs> publicly because, you know, she could have given a part of that and that would have been really, really generous. And here's what I told her. I said, this is only half the story. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do with your faithfulness to provide. And so this is the idea of trust and test. Now I wanna read verses six through eight of chapter nine. By the way, these are my favorite verses out of these two chapters. So much packed into this. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, remember this. This is the idea of like, hey, don't forget, don't forget. In fact, so much of what we're gonna read, we probably know. We just need to be reminded of what we know. And so much of the time God wants to speak, he's spoken in this area of our life, but we've sort of grown deaf to what he said. And so we gotta recall what it is that he's originally promised. He goes, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
Like you, you can't expect to, you know, plant a garden or a crop just with a couple of seeds or no seed at all. He goes, um, you, you're going to get a small crop if you just plant, you know, a few seeds. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This is just simply, this is actually um, sort of like the law of like physics here. It's like this idea or biology. It's like, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. Oftentimes we think about that in actions, but this is true in gardening and farming. You reap what you sow. That's just like, we, we know that. He goes, now, now you must each decide in your heart how much to give. So this is this idea that this is a matter of the heart. This is a issue between you and God. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, we can be tempted to maybe rip that sentence out of context and say, well, you know, God just wants me to decide in my heart how much to, to give. Yeah, but that's sandwiched in between these principles of reaping and sowing. And then there, here's the principle that comes in uh, behind it. Um, don't give reluctantly. So this is this idea of like passive aggressive giving. Here you go, God, get off my back. This is yours. I'm gonna go live in a cardboard box now. You know, it's this idea of like, you know, it's just, I'm gonna give reluctantly. Uh, or here's the other one, response to pressure. So these like high pressure appeals, I'm gonna twist your arm, shame you or guilt you. He goes, don't, don't give reluctantly or under pressure. And here's why. For God loves a person who gives, just say it out loud with me, cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you, what's the word? Need. And, and not, not want, that's different. So God, I want a Corvette. And he goes, yeah, but all you need is a Chevy. Okay, so it's like, okay. I, it's funny, I used that uh, example in the previous hours and all the Corvette owners found me right in the lobby. So I just said, hey, you know, promise to take your pastor for a ride, right? So anyway, he goes, then, then, then you will always, huh, isn't that, that word interesting? You'll always. This isn't some of the time, part of the time. No, it's you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to, to share with others. This is the idea, that, you know, the, the story that immediately comes to my mind when I read that is Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a boy's Lunchable. That's what I think about. It's like, hey, watch what I can do with a little that I'll generously provide and have some leftovers. Here's the first thing I want you to see in the passage and I want this, you to write this in your notes is that we commit today with a spirit of readiness. Now, what I mean by that, so we, we take the plant generously, reap generously. It would make no sense if you were to walk up to a farmer, he's standing at the edge of his field, he's just looking at the dirt and you say, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just waiting for a crop. And you say, well, uh, you know, what'd you plant? And he said, nothing. You'd be like, well, you're gonna be waiting for a while. So that's that idea of like sowing and reaping. So the idea is, is like, what have you sown in order to reap? Now, here's the second idea is that he says, God wants us to give cheerfully. And if you were here last week, I said that that word cheerful in the Greek is the word hilaros. It's, it's the root is where we get our English word hilarious. So this is the idea that God loves hilarious givers, but it actually means even more than that. In Greek writing, they would oftentimes use that word hilaros with this idea. Um, at the ready. So this idea of like you're on the balls of your feet, like you're ready to go, you're alert to what it is that God is asking you to do. Um, several weeks ago, I shared with you just the prayer 
that I prayed as an 18-year-old young man where, you know, God had kind of gotten a hold of my heart. And I said, God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? That is a at-the-ready kind of prayer. Um, this kind of stance is what you will find runners who are getting ready to run a race or a marathon, that they are at the ready at the start line. Uh, I ran the uh, Indy Mini uh, last year. And when I got to the start line, there was like hundreds and hundreds of people all gathered at the start line and there wasn't anybody taking a nap. Like everybody was like at the ready. So this is the idea. Uh, this is the word. So if you were to reread that verse with that understanding, you'd read it like this. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God loves a giver who's at the ready. And that's what this series has been about. God awakening us, speaking to us, making us alert to what it is that he desires to do in us and through us. And I hope that as you've kind of come through your awakened group, as you've like studied the notes, as you've been here through the series, as you've come to the vision nights, that you're at this place now where you're at the ready. And you're like, God, I want, I want to be used by you. Here's the second thing, is that the commitments that we make shape who we become. We are the sum of our commitments over life. Not, not our good intentions, but our commitments. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It doesn't say through you, it says in you. Yes, you will be enriched. There's a difference between getting rich and being enriched. So much of the time we get focused on being rich and God says, well, I want you to be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous regardless of what current season uh, your, of life you're in right now. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will be joyfully expressed their thanks to God. It would be easy to think that verse 10 is about something called like prosperity theology. And unfortunately, there's been like a lot of sweaty TV preachers that have hijacked this idea. And it's this idea of like, well, if you just sow a gift and God will do this in your life. And it's unfortunate that that idea has been hijacked because it's a very biblical idea. I mean, there is a difference between prosperity theology and generosity theology. Prosperity theology says this, give in order to receive. And that's not what the passage teaches. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, this is a way for me to get rich by being temporarily you know, generous, then that's what I'll do. And you're, you're actually missing the whole point of what Paul's trying to say. This is the whole problem with sow a gift kind of theology. It's this idea, well, in order to receive, I guess I'll give. That, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach generosity theology, which is simply this. I wanna be a blessing with what I've already received. Or here's a better way to say it, with what God has already entrusted to me, whether it's a little or a lot. And so God, right now, I just wanna recognize that I'm simply um, a steward a conduit of what it is that you've entrusted to me. He says, when you're able to do this, when you're able to manage what it is that I've entrusted to you, then I'm gonna take care of you. That I'm going to enrich you, that I'm the one who provides and will always make sure that you have enough and that you have enough left over to be generous. And it, it gets to this place where the stories move me, but they don't surprise me anymore. 
That, that when people finally come to this place, like in all my days of like pastoring, when people come to me and they say, you know what, I was in this wrestling match with God. We had this, you know, uh, you, you know, commitment that we were wanting to make or we're gonna trust God in this area. But, you know, we had this financial need. But as soon as we made the decision to be generous towards God, then all of a sudden he took care of the need. And it's just amazing to me how those stories just continue to come in so consistently. Why? Because God has promised it here in the passage. He says, "Um, just trust me and test me. And so we've got to begin to view everything that God has entrusted us with as a temporary steward, not an owner. And then when we do, God says, well, I'll entrust you with more. It's kind of like for those of you, uh, uh, some of you, you don't have to imagine this because you are a business owner. Or you started a business, you're an entrepreneur. Others of you, maybe just imagine that you have a business and you've got to go away for a year. You know, you've got to maybe take care of some aging parents or something. You just got to be away. And so you hire a manager to oversee your business. It's not theirs. They're simply managing it. They're stewarding it. You go away for a year then you come back and you say, hey, would you give me a report of how you managed it over the last year? And if they've been a poor manager and they've squandered the resources or maybe they've begun to act like an owner and kind of act a little bit entitled, then here's what's gonna happen. You're not going to entrust them with more and you're likely going to replace them. In the same way, God says, I've entrusted to you a certain amount of resources and when I return, I'm gonna ask you what you did with what I entrusted to you. So here's a really convicting question. It's not a fun question. It's not a question that I can ask of you. It's a question I'll lay in front of you and you can ask it of yourself because I'm not gonna ask it of you. That'd be meddling. (laughs) And uh, you know, there's a fine line between preaching towards conviction and meddling. And I don't wanna meddle. So I'm just gonna lay the the question out in front of you. You do with it what you will. Here's the question. Given how you've handled money up to this point in your life, And I'm not just talking about the tithe. You can give the tithe legalistically to God and still dishonor him with the remaining 90%. So given how you've traditionally handled resources that God has entrusted to you, if you were God, would you entrust you with more? I know it's not a very fun question, but it's a question that I think all of us have to really wrestle with. And we've got to say, it's not just about giving God his cut. It's about recognizing that he owns it all. Actually, not even just what's in your bank account. It's your gift set. It's uh, the opportunities in front of you. The God is the one, he's the giver of all gifts. And we've got to acknowledge that. And what we do today, like it really matters for all of eternity. Look at what it says in verses 13 through 15 as we finish up uh, this section of the passage today. He says, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient. That's the word, obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Two wonderful words. Here's the last thing I'm gonna ask you to jot down in your notes. Generosity doesn't just fund the mission. Generosity is the mission. It is the mission. What God desires to do is take available men and women and students who are just fully surrendered to him. And God says, a fully surrendered life, man, I can do a lot with that. And so I wanna do a work in you for the purpose of doing a work through you. And God has always been and will always be on this side of eternity in partnership with fallen, broken human beings like you and me. That he comes and he rescues us 
And then through that rescuing, he says, now I want you to be available to let me do a ministry through you to others. This doesn't just stop with you. And that's the big thing that I just want to remind you of. And earlier in the series, I'm not going to ask you to do it again, but some of you will recall you were here that day when I just asked across all of our locations that if you met Jesus through the ministry of our church or if you got reacquainted with Jesus or if you came here to heal in some way or your marriage got restored or you found hope or you got set free from an addiction of some kind, you had a spiritually significant moment through the ministry of this church. I just asked people to raise up their hands and there were so many hands that went up around the room. And what I said then, I just wanna remind you of today, that if that's true for you, then you are the recipient of somebody else's generosity that decided to sow generously. And that shouldn't stop with us. Like we need to remember on into the future. The, this is what's been so helpful for me at times is just to imagine the people that are gonna walk through our doors at all of our locations or the people that are gonna find us online that are gonna find hope. And what we do right now today is gonna change the life of a single mom who's gonna walk through our doors barely keeping her head above water and she's gonna find acceptance and she's gonna find hope. That what we do today is gonna change the life of a former convict who just got out of prison and is gonna walk through these doors, doesn't want anybody to know about his past because he kind of feels like if people found out about his past, the roof would cave in. And he's gonna discover just like the thief on the cross that he is not his past and he can have a new beginning in Jesus Christ. Because of what we do today, there's gonna to be a teenage girl who is wrestling with her body image or maybe she's been cutting in some fashion because she is struggling with her identity and she's gonna hear that God has a plan and a purpose for her life and she is not who her peers says she is and she is not who media says that she is, she is who God says she is. Because of what happens today, there's gonna to be a married couple who drove in separate cars to church on a Sunday because their marriage is on the brink of divorce and they're gonna experience something supernatural and they're gonna fight for their marriage and they're gonna find healing and fruit is gonna grow in what was once a very barren place. Because of what happens today, there's gonna to be a broken man who walks in here and he is lost and everything that has been important to him because of an addiction that he couldn't shake and he's gonna find freedom from those chains by the grace of Jesus Christ and the hope of the Holy Spirit. Because of what happens today, there's gonna to be an older couple who's gonna walk in here and they're in the twilight of their life and they're trying to figure out what is our plan and our purpose for our life now because we've already kind of raised our kids and we're empty nesters and you know, we kind of turned all of our attention to our grandkids, but then you know, they grew up too. And now like, what does God have for me now? And they're gonna discover that now they are in a season of life where they can be sages and they can speak into the lives of previous generations because of what happens in this moment. An abused woman is gonna be seen and she's gonna realize that God grieves over how she has been mistreated and she's gonna find healing and wholeness because of what happens here. Hundreds of disillusioned people who have been hurt by people claiming to know God are going to get a renewed sense of hope in who Jesus has called his people to be. Because of what happens today, Thousands of people are gonna be lowered into the waters of, bab of the baptistry and resurrected as new creations in Jesus Christ because of what happens today. And last, um, 
A week ago, last Saturday night, about a thousand people decided to go first. They gathered here at the Northwest campus for something called Advanced Commitment Night. And I just wanted you to hear directly what God has been doing in their hearts and to see just a glimpse of the powerful moment that took place last Saturday night. So take a look at the screens. What we do here tonight, like it matters. You're not an accident. You are alive right now in this generation, in this time in history, to be God's ambassador to earth in the midst of the brokenness, to be a light in the darkness. Wake up, oh sleeper. God is teaching me in this season of Awaken is that I need to let go of control. I have always lived with fear and anxiety and money's been, I realized, at the root of that. I think with having a second child too, like we want to have all those things planned. But God's just being like, if you don't know the next step, do you still trust me? Can you step out in faith? Can you take that next step? And God has just been like, Alexander, just let go. The timing of this thing in my life I mean, now is a time, and I think, you know, relative to where you are in your stage of life, I mean, I'll be 74 this Christmas. So is life short for me? Yeah. I have to seize the moment. For years, I pushed it aside. Where I am now, God is calling me to step out in faith and to trust Him. What God did in me, first and foremost, he really helped me to appreciate and realize that this work of Awakened series is Holy Spirit inspired. I think like the same mentality that we have in raising our family can really be applied to our finances instead of like trying to grab on and grab a hold to every dollar we make and like every decision we have for grant, we're really trying to open our hands to God and let God dictate the way we spend our money, the way we parent, and then ultimately the way that we live our everyday life. My eyes have been open to why I've been working hard for my business and for a while it's been for earthly treasures, for the money, for the recognition, for the praise of people, but I have realized that I don't want to be selfish with my resources and I want to give back to the kingdom in whatever ways that I have. Last year was the most challenging year of my life, and through that time, I was still staying true to my rhythms. However, I realized that I was sleepwalking through them and wasn't bringing my all. I think through Awaken, Aaron challenged us to take the baton and run the next leg of the race, and that's what I want to do now. At the beginning of the series, I naturally wanted to check the box and say, hey, we've been tithing, we've been giving for years, and uh, we're already there. The awakening part was some good things that put me to sleep. So the fact that I'd gotten complacent in the fact that I was giving, I got complacent in the time I was spending with God, 
and that there wasn't as much passion and that I was really just checking a box. And so this awakening has, has changed my passion, has changed my focus. What I'm realizing is this, he's looking for this financial dependence and this full release of control, the control that I thought I'd let go of years and years ago, um, I was still holding on to a piece. This is a new thing. I have no idea what's coming next. And for the first time, I feel like that's exactly where I need to be. Right now, as God looks at the condition of the world, what he's looking for is a handful of committed men, women, students, and kids whose hearts are fully surrendered to him to be awakened. It was incredible. And we've got an opportunity today to have that kind of same encounter. So that's what we're gonna do today as we just wrap up our time together in this. So I just wanna encourage you to just pull out this commitment card right now, if you would. And this is just um, our response in worship to God. God, I trust you and I'm willing to test you. And uh, some of us, uh, I just wanna celebrate with you because you're gonna step out in a, a faith journey that maybe you've never stepped out in before. And God is gonna take that and he's gonna use it to make a difference because as I've said so many times before, what we do in this moment, like it really, really matters. And so I just want you to know that um, you don't have to fill in like all these boxes inside. That's mostly just a worksheet to help you kind of think through what it is that God is leading you to commit. The biggest thing to remember is just like, you know, your name and, and then that, that final box there at the bottom. And what this is, all it is, is a, uh, this is what I intend to give to Traders Point and the Awakened Vision over the next two years. So if you're somebody that already gives, you just take that number and you'd include it in whatever it is that God is calling you to do. For some of you, it's gonna be adding extra. For some of you, it's gonna be stored resources, but you just fill in that, that final box. Some of you, this is the very first time you've ever committed to anything, and I'm so excited for you in the, in the faith journey that you're gonna be walking into. For others of you, this is gonna be the largest commitment that you've ever made, and I want you to know that Lindsay and I are with you in this. We have always like faithfully tithed to our church family. In the previous generosity initiatives, we've always tried to give sacrificially above and beyond that. But God's taken us to a new place with, with the, the number that we're committing to awaken. And so it, it's a faith journey. And so we are with you in that. For some of you, God's leading you to a place where you're like, man, I, I didn't even know that that was possible. I've had so many people come up to me and said, I had a number in mind and then God changed it on me. Like he, he because here was the deal. They had made a safe choice. God was taking them to a courageous choice. And maybe that's a work that he's doing within you as well. And so I just want you to, to take a few minutes and I want you to spend some time thinking about that. And um, for some of you, maybe you've already got your card filled out, you've already got your commitment and you're like, Matt, this is what God's asking me to do. I just want you to take a moment. If you're here with your spouse or a small group or family, um, you just take this time to consecrate this before the Lord, just commit it to him. And he sees your heart in that. For others of you, maybe you haven't fully written a number down because it kind of makes you nervous to write a number down because that makes it more real. 
And I just wanna encourage you to have the boldness of faith right now in this moment to make that commitment before God. And uh, I just want you to spend a few moments uh, praying and offering this up to him. And then I'm gonna come back up here in just a few minutes to give us some instructions as to how we're gonna close up our time together today. So just take a few moments and uh, work on this and uh, pray. And uh, then we'll come back up and wrap this up here in just a few minutes. I just want you to, to know that it is the, just the honor of Lindsay and I's lives to be able to serve you in this way and to be on this journey with you. We're so excited uh, for the future that God has in front of us. And so what I wanna do, I just wanna ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, across all of our locations. And we're gonna pray together as a church family. And then we're gonna close out our time in worship and dropping off our commitments. And so God, we come to you right now. We're so grateful for how you're such a good and gracious and generous God. And we just wanna be awakened to your presence and your power and what it is that you wanna say and do in each one of us so that we might be available for you to do a work through us. So God, would you use our church in the years to come to be a beacon of light and hope in a world that is hurting and in the darkness. God, I pray that you'd be honored by our commitment to you, that you'd be honored by our faith, by our generosity, by our, our availability for you to do a work in us and through us. So would you do more than we could possibly ever ask or imagine, far more. And we give this to you in Jesus' name, amen.